Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. So, all right. Glad to have you with us today as we are gathering together in worship. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's wonderful to have you today worshiping the Lord with us. Hey, uh, for all of us, whether you're a first-timer or you've been here for years, I've got three big announcements I want to throw your way so you know what's going on, ways that you can personally be connected with what's happening right here at Southview. First is this for our ladies, our ladies ministry. We call them our ladies of grace. Our ladies of ministry are having a night of praise and prayer that's going to be on February 3rd from 7 to 9. You can text PRAISE to sign up for that to our number, 910-424-1298. Text PRAISE. It's a wonderful uh, event, wonderful evening. We did it last year. Ladies had a great time just coming together, spending time with one another, meeting new people, encouraging one another. Sign up for that, ladies. PRAISE by 910-424-1298. Not to be undone, uh, outdone, our guys, February 10th, we're having a men's breakfast. Guys, you can sign up for that by texting the word BACON to 910-424-1298. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2 and how God calls us to work out our salvation uh, with fear and trembling. And as we begin 2024, we're going to ask, what does it look like for me as a man to work out my salvation? How do I do that? What does that mean? You're not going to miss this, guys. It's going to be a great Great time together. That's February 10th, Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Text BACON to sign up. And then lastly, baptism. Our first baptism of the year, February 11th. Um, I already talked to a couple of people this morning already. We're like, I'm in. I'm ready to do it. I've been wanting to get baptized. I know I need to. Let's jump in. February 11th, if you want to be a part of that, text BAPTISM to our number. 910-424-1298 to sign up for that. Again, it's going to be February 11th during both services, 930 and 11. Then for everything else, all our other announcements, you can download our app, iTunes or Google Play. Uh, that's how you're going to stay connected. Let's find a journey group, find previous sermons, find notes for today's message, all of that through the app. It's the best way to stay connected, so download that so you can have it on your phone and be ready to go. And then if you're a guest with us today, I have two things that I want you to do, all right, if you're a guest with us. One, I want you to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. 
Text the word connect. You're going to get a link sent to you. Tap on that. Answer a couple of quick questions just so we can know who you are and how we can minister to you. Secondly, at the end of service, if you would meet my wife and I at the welcome desk in the back, we would just love to put a name with a face, okay? So if you can do those two things, if you're a guest with us, grab your phone and text CONNECT to 910-424-1298. And then meet us in the back after the service just to say hello. We would love that. But for all of us today... As we gather together to worship, I want to read some scripture to us. Uh, this is going to be the passage we're going to look at today as uh, we go through God's Word. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38. Listen to what it says. Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. And he replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus says the greatest thing you can do is love me with everything that you have. What we're going to see today as we go through God's word is that is foundational for all of Christianity. You loving God with everything you have is the foundational key for everything else. Everything God commands of you, everything God desires of you, everything God's going to call you to is going to be summed up in one word, love. Loving God with all that you have. So as we sing today, I want you to, to think through this in terms of love for God. As you stand and as you sing, I want you to have in your heart an understanding of, of God's great love for you. And you're responding with love for Him. And as you sing today, I want to encourage you to sing as someone who's in love with God. You love Him for who He is. You love him for the, the, the treasure that he is. You love him for what he has done. You just, you love him. And that love pours out in singing praise to him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we get ready. I want to pray over us as we get ready to worship and sing and praise the Lord together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're worthy of our worship, you're worthy of our praise, you're worthy of all of this and infinitely more. I pray, God, today that as we lift our voices to you, that we would do this, God, knowing how great and awesome and amazing you are. Stirred up, Lord God, to worship you with everything that we have because you're worthy of all that and eternity on top. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Say 
worship you.
If you have a Bible, let's find Matthew chapter 22 together, all right? Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're going to be. Verses 36 and 38. Um, Before we jump into that, uh, a couple of quick things for you. Um, One, uh, Betty Jo uh, Merritt, who served as our financial secretary here for about eight years, um, she's going to be leaving us uh, for another opportunity end of this month. So we are in the process of looking for a new financial secretary here. Uh, so if you just pray for us in that uh, search. And then also I throw that out there just to say if you are aware of anyone that might be interested in that, um, we're going to be receiving resumes through this week and then go ahead and make that selection. So um, uh, if you're interested in that, it's going to be um, at Indeed.com. You can search there, or it, we're going to post it on our Facebook site. You can contact me directly. I'd love to get you the job description, let you know about that, uh, and, and answer any questions you might have. But um, you can be in prayer for that for us. We'd appreciate that. Um, that'll be this week. We're hopefully going to be walking through that process and making that decision. So uh, thank you so much for that. Also, secondly, um, uh, you may be aware today at 2 o'clock here, uh, we're going to be having uh, the funeral services for Mr. Bobby Corney. Um, Bobby uh, served um, uh, here for a long time, served as a deacon. Um, his uh, son-in-law, Brian, is a former pastor here, um, so strong, long connection here at Southview, and he went on to be with the Lord this week. We're going to have his services here today at 2, so uh, if you could be in prayer for the family, and then obviously if you're able to be here and be a part of that, I know they would appreciate that. Um, so we're taking some time here beginning uh, the year, taking a few months, just to kind of look through the idea of mission, vision, what's God called us to do, who's God called us to be as a church and as individual followers of Christ. And last week I said to you, here's the mission statement for Southview Baptist Church, right? Southview uh, seeks to fulfill the Great Commission by discipling people to worship Christ as their greatest treasure nurture a relationship with Christ in others, and be a witness for Christ in the world. God's, God gave us a mission of making disciples, to teach people how to follow Jesus. God's call in your life isn't just to attend church or be a good person. God's call on your life is that you would personally, radically follow Jesus and then teach other people how to do that as well, right? That you would follow Christ in his mission to see um, the works of Satan destroyed, the kingdom of God advance, and teach other people how to do that as well. So just a quick question before we, we move forward. In all seriousness, has anyone ever taught you how to be a follower of Jesus? You ever just taught you how to do it? You know, it's weird. We, we just sort of, you get saved, you get baptized, and then we just expect so much of this stuff just to happen kind of through osmosis, right? Just like, oh, you'll pick it up as you come. You'll be good. But that's not the way the Bible teaches. The Great Commission is teach them to observe, to obey, to do, to follow everything that I've commanded you. We're to teach people how to actually do this thing. Has anyone ever taught you how to follow Jesus? Anybody ever taught you how to just read your Bible and pray and confess sin and Love your wife and kids and husband and be a good, faithful church member. Has anybody ever just taught you how to do that? Um, Real quick, I would just say, if the answer to that is no, um, that's our mission as a church is to to do that. But if if, if you were to say, like, I... 
that, man, that pricks my heart. That stirs up something in me. I, I, I need somebody to teach me. Come find me, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll take care of that right now. We'll put that in the process. We'll get that going. We'll get you hooked up. We want to teach you how to follow Jesus. This is the mission that God has given us. And so as you look at this mission statement, we seek to fulfill the Great Commission by discipling people to worship Christ as their greatest treasure, nurture a relationship with Christ and others, and be a witness for Christ in the world. I want you to notice the language that you're going to be using here at Southview. You're going to hear this a lot, these three words. Worship, nurture, and witness. That's going to be the language that we use. It's going to frame a lot of what we do here. That's going to kind of create the culture of what we're seeking to establish. Worship. Nurture witness. And we're unpacking that over the next few days, over the next few weeks, um, trying to help explain what a disciple looks like. What is it? So you say we're called to be a disciple. Okay, well, what does it mean? How does that look? What, 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 is that, what do we do? And, and we want these words to kind of set the framework for that so we understand what it is we're called to be as disciples and what it is we're seeking to help other people do. Worship Christ as their greatest treasure. Nurture a growing relationship with Christ in one another and live as a witness for Christ in this world. So for what I want today, let's focus on that first part. Worship Christ as your greatest treasure. What does that mean? We call you to, to, to worship, to be a worshiper. What does that mean? Let me give you a few definitions of worship. Let me just throw some out there, okay? Harold Best said, worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of the chosen or choosing God. Jonathan Gibson said, worship is the right, fitting, and delightful response of moral beings, angelic and human, to God, the creator, redeemer, and consummator. For who he is as one eternal God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for what he has done in creation and redemption. And for what he will do in the coming consummation. To whom be all praise and glory now and forever, world without end. Amen. Daniel Block said, True worship involves reverential acts of homage and submission before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself. And in accord with his will. Bruce Leafblad said, Worship is communion with God in which believers by grace center their minds' attention and hearts' affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to his greatness and in his word. John Piper said, The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. And then Bob Coughlin says Christian worship is the response of God's redeemed people to a self-revelation that exalts God's glory in Christ and our minds, affections, and wills in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I know I just read a lot of words. But here's the point of all of that I wanted you to see. I, I got people, theologians, pastors, worship experts from all different time periods in traditions and denominations 
And I kind of put together what they say def- worship is this. And here's what I want you to notice. Two things. Number one, none of them mentioned singing. Number two, they all spoke to how you live your life. If we were to ask the room right now, give like a, a, a okay, a, a, a survey, what is worship? My guess is the bulk of us would use some kind of singing, right? It's about singing, and, and, and I understand where you would get that. I mean, what we just did, we call worship. The people that led us in that, we call the worship team. In just a few weeks, we're going to present to you the search team that's going to help us find our next worship pastor, right? So we use that word worship and connect it to singing and music a lot. And, and there's definitely a part of that. The Bible would say that. But what I want you to understand more than anything is this. Worship at its core is not about a song you sing. It is about the life you live. It is about who you are, what you love, and the life that you live. Which is why we say our Mission statement, going back to that, as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission by discipling people to worship Christ as their greatest treasure. Worshiping Jesus as the greatest and most glorious treasure in your life is the foundational piece for discipleship. That's the foundation floor that everything else is built off of. If you truly worship Christ as your greatest treasure, you truly see him as greater and more glorious and more beautiful than anything and everything in the entire world, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to be driven to read your Bible, to pray, to repent of sin, to be a part of the body of Christ, to tell other people about him. Right? Love, worship, desire for God, seeing him as glorious and beautiful and amazing drives you to these things. The reason that we struggle to read our Bible is because at the end of the day, we don't see God as beautiful and amazing as he is. And so we have to try to force ourselves to do it, force ourselves to pray. Well, if you just do it for 21 days, it'll be a habit and then you'll be good. And yes, there is an element of spiritual discipline to where you just do it by faith. But what I want you to see is the driving force in all of this is a deep, powerful, life-altering view of Jesus as the most glorious and beautiful treasure in the world, and you worship him and see him and love him, adore him as that. Uh, I'll explain it like this. So on our worship team, um, one, of, one of the folk on our worship team is uh, uh, Kelly Taylor. So uh, Kelly's daughter is in the process of being in labor for their first grandchild. Right. So uh, this morning we're getting everything together. We're going, so if you see her at, during the last song, like something goes off, she looks in her pocket and then sprints off, you know what's happening. So, um, so during the practice time this morning, we're going through everything, we're finishing up. And so I said, so Kelly, baby update, where are we at? Her entire countenance changed. Everything about her was like, 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 because we all know it's biblical. Grandchildren are God's reward for you not killing your kids when they're teenagers, right? It's a fact. It's in the Bible, right? If you can get through the teenage years without murdering them, God gives you grandkids, right? It's like, here you go. So what is it about this? Kelly knows she is about to experience, she is about to receive 
one of the greatest joys and treasures that she's going to experience in her life. And, and she can't help but be excited about that. Right? She can't help. I, when she gets that phone call, I dare you to stand in front of her. Right? Just give it a shot, see what happens. I bear no responsibility for the footprints that will be on your forehead. Why? Because she has a view of something so glorious and amazing, she can't help but run after it. And I want you to see this. When you have a view of how glorious and amazing Jesus is, you can't help but run after him. This is why we say we're here to make disciples. And the foundational piece for that is we want to lead each of us, all of us, to worship Christ as our greatest treasure. And as we worship him and see him and revere him and adore him as this, we're going to be driven to all these other things. And for the record, it's not my idea. I didn't come up with it. Jesus did, which is the best. You can totally steal from Jesus, right? Take all Jesus' stuff. That's kind of the point. He wants you to do that. So that's where we go in Matthew chapter 22. So in Matthew 22, Jesus is approached by some religious leaders, and they're asking the question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In essence, they're asking, what is the foundational truth of God in which everything else in life is built? And here's how he responds. Matthew 22, verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Um, Jesus, by the way, also did not pull this out of thin air. He's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read that to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen to verse 5. This should sound familiar. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So this passage is called the Shema. They get that because the first word there in verse 4, uh, here in Hebrew, it's Shema. And so they just call the whole passage Shema. And what they would do during Jesus' time, the, the Jewish uh, people, they would repeat the Shema. They had it memorized, and they would repeat it every morning when they woke up and every night when they went to bed. Every morning they'd wake up, as soon as their feet hit the floor, they open their eyes. The first thing they would say is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Before they go to bed, before they lay their head down, they stand and go, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Not only that, they would take that verse, along with some others, but this being the foundational one, write it on a little tiny sheet of paper, roll it up real tight, and put it in a little box, and literally strap it to their foreheads. Then they put it in a box and attach it to the doorpost of their homes. So they're literally surrounding their homes, surrounding their minds. Their first thing they say when they wake up, the last thing they say before they go to bed, they're filling their mind with the understanding that loving God with all I have is the greatest thing that I can do. So when these religious leaders ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus is like, gee, I don't know, maybe it's the thing. That you repeat it to yourself this morning, you repeat to yourself again tonight, you walk past it on your door, you literally have it strapped to your head right now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that word love there in Hebrew is hava. 
and and it it's a it's a love of will and intention and motive, not just emotion, right? So it's not emotionless, but it's not driven and controlled by emotion, right? I'm not doing something because I feel like it. I'm doing it because I've made a decision of the will to do this, and emotion's going to come. And that's the exact same kind of word used back in Matthew 22. Let's look at, at Matthew 22. When it says, you shall, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Similarly, the word love there is agapeo. Same kind of idea. This, this love that's driven by a decision, a will to do what's right and good and best for the person that is the object of your love. To sacrifice yourself for someone else regardless of what emotion may come with that positive or negative. And it says there again, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The Mark passage is going to add strength. Same kind of idea. The point is this. Love God with everything you have. Heart means this, the, sort of the seat of who you are as a person. Your very essence, your being. Soul is the closest thing we have to emotion. Um, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says that my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. It's the same word he's talking about there, the soul. And just in my deepest gut, the, the very base of what I feel inside of me. Love God with that. And with all your mind, your, 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 your thoughts, your intentions, your desires, what, what, what you believe. Love God with everything. Thing. Everything God requires of you, everything God calls you to, everything is going, God is going to place into your life is summed up in one word, love. Love him. Which is why, again, we say the foundational key for everything that we want to lead us to as being disciples of Jesus is summed up with this is the foundation. Worship, adore, love Jesus as your greatest treasure on earth. When you do this, now you're driven to live for him, to obey him. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, the Ten Commandments, right? The ten big, you better and you better not. When he's giving that, he doesn't say, you better do these things or, you know, I'm good with the whole lightning bolt thing. I'm going to get you. He even at the very beginning with the Ten Commandments links it to love. Exodus 20, verse 6, the Lord shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Jesus says the same thing in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. When you love God, adore God, revere God, worship God, See God as the greatest and most beautiful treasure on earth. You're going to live for him. And the reason that we struggle to do that is, one, our love for him is never perfect. That will happen when we get to heaven. We're always seeking to grow, always seeking to mature in that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the reason that it's such a struggle, the reason why sin can have such a hold on us, the reason we're not quick to turn from sin like we know we should, it's a love issue. Think about this. Um, the difference between you hurt the feelings of a total stranger versus you hurt the feelings of someone that you love and adore more so than anyone else in this world. Right? So if you hurt the feelings of a total stranger, I mean, you feel bad. You're like, 
Sorry. But if you hurt, if you wound in the heart the person that you just love more than anyone else on this earth, didn't they just hit different? I mean, that, that stirs you. you. You're bothered by that. You, you offend a stranger like, it's cold life, it's okay. You deeply offend someone that you love with all your heart, that, that just hits different. And this is the way he's trying to help us understand walking in the Lord. When you love God like that, when you love God like he is truly the most glorious and beautiful treasure in the universe, and you offend him with your sin, now, man, you're grieved by that. It hits you different. You're not okay with it. You don't sweep it under a rug. You don't say, hey, no one's perfect. What you going to do, right? When you love God like that and you sin, you want to get that sin out of you. You want to live differently for him. Love drives it. So let's, let's chat about this just for a second. Let me throw out a couple of questions just to kind of help us put some flesh and bone on loving God with everything we have. What does this mean? What does this look like? Um, so what does it mean to love God with everything that we have? L- let me throw a verse out there. It's not going to be on the screen. Um, but let me just throw a verse out there to kind of help us think through it. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus is saying this, okay? So listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves Father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is doing something intentional and really powerful here. He is picking probably some of the most important, meaningful relationships you have. If we were, again, to poll a room in here, who in your life grips your heart more than anyone else? He just throw it out. Mom, dad, son, daughter. That, that's a fairly exhaustive list. My guess is just about everyone in the room, one of those is going to go ding, ding, ding. And if not one of those, there is something that does hit you like that. And he on purpose is picking these very powerful, he wants to say something to make you go, wait, what did he just say? Like that's the point. He wants to, 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 to shock our system into understanding when he calls you to love him, this is how serious it is. You love him even more than that. You think that he is more beautiful and amazing and glorious and you will give up more for him than even them. You love him like that. To love God with everything that you have means that he is truly the most important person in your life. You Worship God alone. Your, your identity is in God alone. Your ultimate security is in God alone. You obey God alone. And even when you don't obey perfectly, and you're not, like today, you're not. Even when you don't, when love for God is what's driving you, 
Again, it just hits different. Again, I'll give you another verse. It's not going to be on the screen, but I think it, it, it kind of speaks to this. Romans 7.15. The Apostle Paul is, is talking through this, this idea of sin that still he's struggling with. And so Romans 7.15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. Anybody? Listen to what he says. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I don't do what I want to do. I do what I hate. And he's comparing in hate versus love. What he's showing is this. What he's showing is even though I'm not perfect, I know I love God and I hate that sin. And so I want with everything inside of me to run from that sin that I hate and run to God that I love. Even when you're not walking in perfection, love for God is the guiding force so that you know what to run away from. You know what isn't good for you and glorifying to God. Because the shining light that guides you, the beacon that directs you, is a deep, profound, total love for God above anyone and anything else in this world. It changes everything. So then how do we grow in love with God? How do we do this? What does this look like? If love for God is the most important thing, is the foundational piece for your entire life in Christ, And how do we grow in that? How do we develop that? Uh, I'm going to throw out another verse. It's not going to be on the screen, but you may want to write it down for just future study. 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So let me just read that one more time. Think through. I'm going to go slow. And we all, with unveiled face, in other words, the, 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 the blinders are off, the, the, the spiritual light has turned on in your life, you can finally see now, and you see God for who He is. You're beholding, you're seeing the glory of God, right? You turn the light on of your heart, the Holy Spirit has flipped the light switch on, you finally see God for who He is, and as you see God for who He is, you're drawn more to Him, more and more and more and more and more, and you become more and more changed into the image, and you become more and more and more in love with Him. How you grow in love with God is by seeing who God is more and more clearly. You can't force yourself into loving God more, right? You can't sit here like, I'm going to love God. I'm going to do it. Serious, I'm doing it this time. It doesn't work that way. You can't muster that up in your own strength. How you grow in love with God is by seeing Him more clearly. Um, Think about it like this. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How you grow in love with God is by tasting and seeing how good He is. And the more you taste and realize how good He is, the more you want. So think about it like this. When I was a baby, I love strained peas. Couldn't get enough of it. It's amazing. So I did that for a little while. Then, as a kid, I discovered McDonald's chicken nuggets. Like, oh. No, I love this. Forget the peas. I don't want that anymore. I want this. So I was all in for nuggets. 
And then I discovered a good burger. Now, like, I don't want chicken nuggets. That, they, I don't even know what that is. I want this. I want a good burger. Right now, I love that. Then I became an adult and I was introduced to actual good cuts of meat. And you get a filet grilled just right, just to, to the point where if you put sauce on it, it's a sin. Like, don't do that. Now, it's so good because I've tasted that and seen how good that is. I don't want McDonald's chicken nuggets. Right? If my options are perfectly grilled filet mignon or a 20-piece from McDonald's, I'm, I'm going to go filet. Right? I'll, I'll take the steak. Thanks. Why? Because I've tasted and seen how good it is. And so now I love this more than that. So I'm drawn to the thing that I love and away from the thing I used to love. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? This is how we grow in the Lord. You taste and see how good God is. And as you taste and see how glorious he is, you desire him more than you desire these other things. So how do we do that? How do we taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, very simply, it is by you and I consistently, regularly, daily putting ourselves in situations to taste and see that God is good. So think about it like this. We just came off Christmas. Right, so in the Christmas story, we're introduced to two ladies, Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. So if you're familiar with the Christmas story, Mary and Elizabeth, neither one of them have children. Mary is a young virgin girl. Elizabeth is an elderly, barren woman. Neither one of them have had kids. Mary is um, single. She's betrothed to Joseph, but she's never known a man. God comes to her with an angel and says, I'm going to make you great with child and boo through the power of the Holy Spirit. Miraculously, out of nowhere, pow, Mary is pregnant. Like, what just happened? Elizabeth, an angel comes to her husband, Zachariah, and says, you're going to have a baby. Elizabeth having a child is just as miraculous as Mary. She is elderly. She is barren. There's no physical reason why she should have a child. But God blessed her and miraculously gave her a child. But how did that happen? By Elizabeth and Zechariah engaging in normal marital relationship. As they engaged in what they typically normally do, God performed a miracle and gave them a child. Track with me just for a second. This is going to make sense. Listen to me. The reason many of us in this room are struggling spiritually is this. You expect your spiritual growth to happen like Mary and not Elizabeth. You expect to wake up tomorrow morning and boof, miraculously, there you are. You have just, you are, you have grown 10 feet spiritually overnight. It's Jack and the Beanstalk. Like you just woke up the next day and go, oh, I'm in heaven. This is amazing. That is not the way it works. Spiritual growth is a miracle of God. But it happens the way Elizabeth had a baby, not the way Mary did. It happens by you and I, every day, putting ourselves in situations where we get to more and more and more and more and more taste how good God is. It comes very simply from this. You waking up in the morning and you reading your Bible. That is an opportunity for you 
to see a little bit more clearly who God is and taste and see how good he is. It comes from you committing to be a part of a journey group, a small group of people. They're going to get in a room together and help one another see God more clearly for who he is and fall more in love with him. It's going to come very honestly from you showing up to church more regularly than the phases of the moon are regular. You making a decision that Sunday morning we're going to be here and we're going to come with a spiritual mindset that we're desiring for God to reveal himself to us for who he is so we can taste and see how good he is and grow more in love with him. It's just that simple. It's not Mary. You think something miraculous is going to happen to you and boop, there it is. No, it's Elizabeth. You waking up every day and reading your Bible. You making a decision to be a part of a small group of people that are going to help you love Jesus. You making a decision that you're going to be consistently a part of the body of Christ, worshiping together and studying the Bible together and seeking Jesus together. You do that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You do that. And more and more and more, you're going to taste and see that God is good. And more and more and more, you're going to grow in love with Jesus. You're going to see him for who he is. And the more you see him for who he is, you're going to be driven to him. You're going to desire him. You're going to want him. You're going to love him. And you're going to worship Christ as your greatest treasure. And he will change you. Um, this is why we begin our mission statement of disciple-making with this. We believe this is foundational because Jesus taught that this is foundational. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And the way that we're simply describing it here, worship Jesus as your greatest treasure. Worship him as the most great and glorious and beautiful treasure in the world. Because here's the thing. If, if you do that, if you love God with everything that you have, you want to read your Bible. You want to pray. You want to be a part of the body of Christ. You want to serve him faithfully. You want to financially give so the kingdom can be advanced. You want to tell people about him. Worship Christ as your greatest treasure and see what he does. Um, I, I am not a perfect husband by a long shot. But because I love my wife and I genuinely believe that she is the greatest human on earth, I want to serve her. I want to spend time with her. I want to grow in relationship with her. And here's the thing. When I'm not a great husband, when I'm short-tempered and I'm rude and I'm inconsiderate, when I'm those things, what drives me to make that relationship right with Marie is not, I know that's what I should do. If I don't say I'm sorry, the rest of the day is going to stink. What drives me to do that, what drives me to seek to make that relationship right is my love for her. Because I love her, I, I want that to be right. So I, I confess and, and, and I say I'm sorry and, and, and I make reconciliation. Why? Because I love her. Love drives everything. And as we think about being a disciple of Jesus as the foundational piece for all of life. 
want you to see worship is not about a song you sing. It's about the life you live. It's about treasuring, adoring, loving, seeing Jesus as the most beautiful and amazing treasure in the world. And as a result of that, you orient your entire life around him. So for us here today, as we end our time together, that's going to be my question for you. Do you worship Jesus as your greatest treasure? Do you worship him? Love him, adore him, revere him for who he really is. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And, and as we end today, um, I want us to ask God to show us the truth of who or what we really love. Because that's step one, right? First thing is God needs to show us what we really love in this life if it's not Him. So I'm going to ask that you would start there. Ask God to show you who or what you really do love above anyone or anything. And, and then secondly, I want us to, to ask God that He would reveal Himself to us so profoundly. We see Him so clearly that again, we we have to run after him. We, we want him that, that deeply. Jesus, I just pray over us, your people. I ask you, God, that you would give us today spiritual eyes to see who you are. And as we see you for who you are, Jesus, we are just changed by our love for you. Thank you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand as we sing praises to Jesus Christ, worshiping him in song because our lives are marked by a deep, profound love for him. Let's sing.
It is well. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He and his family were moving from England to America. He had some business that he had to take care of in London, so he put his wife and daughters on a ship ahead of him to send them off, and he was going to join them later. The ship that his wife and daughters were on experienced trouble. A fire broke out. The ship sank there in the Atlantic Ocean. Spafford received a wire saying the ship is down. All is lost. He still boards his ship to the United States. And as they're crossing over the place where his wife and daughter's perished, one of the crew comes to him and says, sir, just let you know this is the spot. And at that moment, Horatio Spafford grabbed a piece of paper and a pen and wrote that song. It is well with my soul. What would possess a man who is literally at the location his wife and daughter's be able to still write that song because Horatio Spafford believed Jesus Christ was his greatest treasure. And it did not matter what this life threw at him. It was still well with his soul. That's why we say this is the foundational piece for discipleship. This foundation, if it's set in our lives, changes everything. We at Southview seek to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples of Jesus who worship Christ as their greatest treasure. That's just not words on a page. That means something. We want to do that together. Again, if you're a guest with us, my wife and I would love to meet you in the back. Please come by and say hello. Let me pray for us and let you go. Jesus, we thank you that you are the greatest and most glorious treasure in the universe. There's going to come a day where every knee in heaven, on earth, and on the earth are going to bow in reverence to you. But I pray that we will not wait till that day. Right here in this room, we're going to be filled with men and women who worship you as their greatest treasure right here on earth. Because they see you are worthy and we love you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week. See you next Sunday. Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose.